0: Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Today, I'm really excited to have Silvio with me some of you will introduce himself in a minute but I I can just go out and state that i think you're probably one of the guys that i follow uh, across the internet where i get the most fomo <laughs> whenever you release a new tactic on youtube or LinkedIn or in your newsletter, um, fuck, I have to read through this because it seems really on point. The stuff that comes out, I haven't uh, acted upon most of it, which I guess is a is the typical pattern. But it uh, uh, really makes me think that, wow, oh, shit, there's there's more stuff I can do here. But Silvio, maybe you can just do the kind of the brief intro to yourself, the first minute or two, and then uh, we'll go on with one of my one of the friends I have that commented on on this event title yeah <laughs> Best <absolutely>. title ever <laughs>
1: so, I let's see I'm hyped just from that that intro music <laughs> I felt like we were <laughs> like the I don't know if you ever saw Ron Burgundy like the, the, yeah, the anchor yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're about to go live you know uh, well I'm happy to be here and sorry to contribute to your fomo it's good thing that you haven't tried everything because that's actually one of the traps that people fall into is yeah they, they take on too much too soon and they, they don't actually execute anything well they just have all these half built bridges and kind I of save it for later. But a quick intro on myself. My name is Silvio yeah. Perez. I'm the founder of Ad Conversion. I am a total nerd, all things ads. I have a YouTube channel. I've created over 50 plus video tutorials on uh, all different topics around advertising. I wrote a book called Google Ads Profits. I currently work with different B2B SaaS clients, helping them manage and and you know create their campaigns. I'm actually in the process of launching my new venture, which I'm oh. super excited about. And I'm basically transforming ad conversion into something else more to come cliffhanger (laughs) (laughs) but uh i'll be announcing that more uh, next month and yeah before that i was the head of performance and product innovation at a company called metadata got to work with tons of different b2b accounts i've probably looked inside over at least over 115 accounts across all different industries and SaaS.
0: are you going down the software path or is it the consultancy or can you reveal just a little bit more about what's coming up
1: yeah, it is ad tech. So it is a, it's going to be software is the end goal. But yeah. to start, it's going to be no code just to keep yeah. it simple, yeah. You know, validate product market fit. And then from there, the goal is definitely to build some sort of uh, tech behind it.
0: Super interesting. So as I said before, one of my friends termed this the best title ever for an event, which is uh, <laughs> 10 paid ad tactics that always work in, in B2B. What's not to like about it? I just gave you that kind of suggestion for the title because I really like when, when we get tangible about things and just don't just keep it high level, but introduce things that the people who are watching can actually take away from home. It was a good exercise
1: for me too. I When you said 10 paid ad tactics that always work, I was like, <laughs> and you're killing me. Like there's so many variables, you know, it, yeah. like the it depends answer that we always give. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It was actually a fun exercise for me too, to kind of think, what are the truest safe bets you know like all things considered that for the most part are are generally always the case
0: but i think uh, maybe we should i I took a quick screenshot of your notes here sylvia and we'll as we kind of switch chapters i'll just read one out and i'll remove this one again but the first one you have on your list here is refocusing your targeting on your best converting segments and personas what's that
1: yeah so what this means is this means double check your targeting and make sure that you're putting dollars on your best performing audiences. So I'll give a quick story. I have one client of mine that their budget got cut. So we had 60% less budget, but we're actually able to generate Mm -hmm. three times as much pipeline this month, all because, and we created the same amount of opportunities as we did the prior month. But the biggest difference was the average deal size per opportunity was substantially greater. So what we did was we refocused on our best converting audience segment. So for us, that meant going up market, focusing on enterprise and creating enterprise deals. Oftentimes, you know, the saying the riches in there in the niches Mm. is true on an ad perspective. Like if you can further segment your audience and really double down and focus that ad budget on those core buyers that are going to be the most likely to convert you know, greatest propensity to have the greatest close rate, etc. Yeah,
0: yeah. That
1: yeah. is going to allow you to stretch your budget much further. So that's what I mean by that first point. Is
0: this an, an ad network specific tactic or is it agnostic, you'd say?
1: Agnostic across the board, but more so specifically LinkedIn, because you have the ability to go and yeah. make sure that you're yeah. getting that budget in front of this specific sub uh, segment. Other channels, you hmm. just don't have that that luxury and it's just a different game you're playing so you can't necessarily go that granular but for linkedin specifically and facebook if you're using some sort of third-party tool for audience targeting absolutely you should take advantage of it
0: yeah what is it there's on linkedin there's an option to see which accounts has actually been receiving Mm -hmm. your ads what is it it's called i can't yeah the
1: demographics report so yes that one yeah if you have been running ads up until this point let's say you're not necessarily thrilled with your results and you've gotten some good results, but it's not crazy good. And you're like, you're wondering, okay, do I have an opportunity here to refocus my budget? You can use the demographics report and then just take a quick peek at what companies are interacting with your ads, what job functions, what titles, et cetera. And then from there, make a data-driven decision on, hey, we're going to create a sub-segment campaign focused on these people that are already engaging the best with, with what we currently have.
0: I've I found that quite useful when I've set something up on LinkedIn and then actually checking, whoa, it's not at all this job function that should be seeing it. Let me go back to the campaign and let let's exclude those or Yeah this company is receiving ads but it has nothing to do with our ideal customers so let's, let's get rid of this immediately there's like uh, karen nichols is sh- uh, throwing a, sure. and- karen is throwing a curveball i think you would call it in the us already i'll pull it up here what if your best performance segment is not your icp have that's- you run into <laughs> that one
1: that is a great one yeah that means you definitely need to refocus yeah, that's that tells me you have an audience targeting issue and you probably need to adjust your targeting. So that the ones that are converting the best are more closer to your ICP. Even, you know, let's just use a practical example. Let's say we're going after people in the marketing space, right? We're going after our ideal customer profile is people who are head of demand gen, you know, senior marketing managers, etc. But within that universe, maybe we see people in marketing operations or product marketing that are engaging the best, but they're not necessarily our best profile fit. That's still mm. related to our overall you know, uh, universe that we wanna start targeting a little bit so that we get more of our ads yeah. in front of the people that we do wanna get in front of. So if in the case with you, Karen, where you do notice your best performing segment is not even closely related to your ideal customer profile, then you definitely gotta go ahead and tweak your audience targeting. And I highly recommend adding in exclusions as well. Equally important, when you're thinking about who you should target, you should think about who you want to exclude. So like another way of thinking yeah. is like your your angel persona and your devil persona. Like who is the worst fit ever? Think of that ahead of time. And then who would be the best fit? And make sure you're addressing both with your targeting.
0: Yeah, we've actually, we've been doing a, an antithesis to kind of our ideal customer profile. And it, it's been super helpful because it helps you make quick decisions about, <laughs> about all things coming in. No, not at all these guys. And it's not these guys. And, why are we even hitting ads on this account? Because it's way far from our ICP. That was a good first start. Uh, make sure the quality is up in the the audience section. So number two, increasing the size of your ads to bump CTR. And then you have different kind of uh, sizes of the ads.
1: Yep. So essentially, this is a, a pretty much a kind of a quick, no-brainer, easy tip. If you're running social ads, Facebook, LinkedIn, make sure you're using ads that elongate your you know, how it positions on the feed. So for example, by default, most people will use 1200 by 627 dimensions, which is like Mm. this horizontal rectangle for their in-feed ads on Facebook, LinkedIn. They also allow you to do a 1200 by 1200, which is like a square. And the reason why this one typically performs better than the 1200 by 627 is just because it's longer and it takes up more space on the Mm. newsfeed. So the bigger your ad, the greater propensity for it to be clicked because it's just it's taking up more space it becomes more visible so that's an easy quick tip for everybody here if you're running ads on linkedin on facebook and you're using 1200 by 627 run a test against 1200 by 1200 and let the data guide you and see what performs best
0: <laughs> i and guess the same you're is probably, true with vertical yeah probably you've probably seen the data amongst metadata's customers and, and your own ad customers nowadays i would imagine at
1: first i was at first it was like a one-off thing, and then we started to roll it out consistently across different clients. And up until this point, it's just been so consistently proven to outperform 1200 by 627, that I'm comfortable now saying that's just the (laughs) go-to. Like with all my clients as well, I don't even ask for 1200 by 627 anymore. I'm just like, no, 1200 by 1200. And then uh, for vertical image ads as well, that's another one that's really powerful. LinkedIn Mm. allows you to create an ad type specific for mobile and that's 628 by 1200 and the reason that one performs so well on mobile is because it's freaking massive it just takes up almost like the entire screen
0: how do you set that one i remember looking for it and struggling to to find that that option sometimes
1: you just upload the ad so the the Ah, okay you have to
0: exercise and then it goes Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Yep. so usually what i'll do is i will create my own campaign for vertical ads because it's like a, a mobile only placement. And I like to see the performance at the, at the outset. And yeah. then I'll have a vertical image ad campaign and then I'll have just like a regular all other image ad campaign.
0: Super nice, <laughs> super low practical, I love it. Number three, creating ads that fit the channel and placement. So we're talking stories, YouTube, TikTok, I guess LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, et cetera here. So what does it mean that it, uh, that it fits the channel and placement?
1: I have a lot to say here. One thing i <laughs> I did miss on the last point, super important on paid search, make sure the same is true, focusing on increasing the size of your ads. So the way you do that on paid search is you add ad extensions. Mm. So by default, the ad extensions I recommend that you use is site link extensions, image extensions, structured snippet extensions. Those extensions are really powerful, especially the site links. That's the number one most important one. Because yeah. it adds four relevant links yeah, you to your ad yeah. and it just makes it bigger. So that's another quick tip for everyone here. If you're Smart. not using ad extensions on paid search, get in the habit of doing that. Because ad rank, which is determines whether you're on the top of the page or nowhere to be seen, one yeah. of the indicators of ad rank is the expected impact of ad extensions. And one of the factors of quality score is your expected click-through rate. And using ad extensions will help drive a higher click-through rate which all in all will just help you have a better <laughs> ad rank lower quality score you're going to be more visible.
0: Awesome. Let me just put a read out it again so you and the audience remembers. Number 3 uh, creating the ads that fit the channel and the placement stories, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, etc.
1: Yep. So basically what I mean by this is like show a virtual hands here if you're in the in the links where you're like let's say I want to get started with YouTube ads and to get running on LinkedIn or on Facebook and they're doing they look pretty good. I think they'll be all right let's go ahead and throw them as a YouTube ad. And then you launch the campaign, you spend a couple hundred bucks, and it doesn't really do anything. (laughs) You don't really find success. Or another example is, how many of you have gone on Instagram or Facebook, but more so specifically Instagram, and you're scrolling through stories and you're watching your friend's stories, and then all of a sudden you see an ad that pops up in your story that obviously doesn't belong on that placement. It's like distorted, it's cut off, it just doesn't look good. So what I mean by this is you want to make sure that When you approach a channel and a placement that you're creating creative that is unique to that channel and that placement, every single channel, the user behavior is different. What people expect when they go on LinkedIn is different from when they're on Facebook, when they're on Instagram, when they're on TikTok, when they're on YouTube. Yeah. And one of the biggest traps we make as advertisers and we try to force what we have on the user despite Their experience. When it comes to paid social, there's this obsession of how do I create ads that stand out? But specifically, when it comes to paid social, it's kind of counterintuitive, but you want to blend in. You don't want people to realize your ad was an ad until after the fact. They're like, where they see your ad, but it's so related to what they experience in terms of like native best practices that it's almost indistinguishable from native content that they enjoy. That after the fact, they're like, Oh, wait a second. That was an ad. Oh, they yeah. did a good job. Let me yeah. give them a like.
0: So that, that I agree with, but I can also see the limitations, at least at some companies that where they would think, is, is, do we have enough creative power to actually do this? Is there any kind of advice on how to, is it possible to do this on a, like a shoestring uh, budget or do you need to be big for it to, to work?
1: I, I think the, the opposite is true. Sometimes having too many fin- financial resources can be limiting in its own way. In the sense of you're not creative, you're just so. I think it's not so much a budget issue. I think it's more of a bandwidth issue. So, can you commit to running ads on all these different platforms with unique creative and you know addressing these different placements? Yeah. Probably not if you're a small team. It's a, it's a full time job. I was actually interviewing Alex Panchuk at PandaDoc, and they're a much bigger startup. They have like a dedicated paid search manager, paid social. You know when when you're advertising, you're spending millions of dollars in ads every month yeah, and it gets yeah. to that level of scale, it becomes a full-time job and you need different roles. So the first thing I would say is focus, right, and which is what you're doing, which is really good. you're going against the FOMO and you're controlling your efforts. <laughs> so whatever you do decide to focus on that makes mm. sense for you, given where your audience is, the media cost, the reach, the policy yeah, regulations, yeah, yeah. whatever channel, then put your best foot forward to try to Create ads that are unique to that channel, right? Respecting the fact of the experience of the user, so that you don't have
0: this mismatch, you know. Good. I think that's solid as advice as well. Okay, uh, number four: breaking desktop and mobile into separate campaigns. I guess that probably a little bit related to what we just talked about.
1: It, similar. So this is extremely tactical and and simple, but generally speaking, when it yep. comes to B two B on average, I consistently see desktop outperforms mobile. Sometimes as great as like 75% of conversions will come from desktop and then 25% from mobile. It varies by client, but generally desktop is always the higher performing device. Mm. And this is something that you guys can confirm if you have Google Analytics installed or some sort of analytics tool so that you can see what's your performance by device, or even in your ad platform, if you go into Google ads, you can see your segment by device. But essentially, what you want to do is by breaking the campaigns out by device, yes, there is the creative element, but more so than that, just purely just based on performance, because desktop is doing better for you, you want to make sure that that device is getting more budget, right? You're maximizing your impression share Mm. on that campaign for that device versus mobile, especially if you notice the average cost per acquisition dramatically varies by device. So for example, Mm. maybe mobile converts, but it converts at a 30% more expensive cost. So let's give mobile less budget and then more budget towards desktop that converts at a higher rate and a lower cost as an example.
0: Super nice. That would be that Google analytics be your go-to to understand this. So would it be the individual ad platform or, or where would you just check? For me, to... it's usually,
1: for me, it's usually the ad platform, yeah. especially if I have offline conversions set yeah. up and I trust it more. It'll usually be the ad platforms. The cool thing too, with some of these, with these channels, especially Google ads, not to go too into the weeds, but (laughs) you have the ability to set up, they're called value track parameters where you can basically append different values to your ad links so that they dynamically pull in information based on the the searcher. So one of them that you can pull in is like device. So it'll automatically update in your, your URL link based on the device that the, the user came from when they clicked on your ad. Sweet. so you can get that information
0: super nice i think that's really valid as well
1: and then you can store it in your crm and, and pull reports on that
0: yeah number five setting an ad schedule to serve weekdays or i outside of uh, gy hours what is that uh, an acronym for
1: like the graveyard hours
0: <laughs> i've had that this one i've been thinking about some, like some your, 12 to... is it really worth it uh, doing this adjustment uh stop it like we're like we're in b two b here, so it makes mm-hmm. sense. Nobody's in the office. but what about the seats that you plant during Saturday and Sunday? Don't they have any effect during the weekdays or during night and stuff?
1: Yes, so two things. one, there's two ways you can approach this. One, if you have budget restrictions, let's say your budget got cut, yeah, and you need to do more with less. yeah one extremely simple tactical thing you can do tomorrow to stretch your dollar is is instead of showing (laughs) your ads seven days a week, show them five days a week, Monday to Friday, right? Yeah, That will already allow you to have a greater average daily spend and concentrate your efforts, right? Around the prime time hours versus stretching it because you're trying to cover two other 24 hour periods. On the next step is, well, let's say you don't need to be that aggressive. You do have some budget and you do want to cover the weekend to your point, Mm Stefan. People are doing research, right? They're they're browsing they're learning etc yeah. then okay let's do seven days a week but let's do seven days a week during the time that people are actually awake mm. you know for the most part yeah. so yeah. yeah and then after 10 yeah. you don't deliver ads anymore and this is also something that you can verify by looking in your analytics so for example if you're going to google ads you can look at your your ads uh, schedule report and see like the data will tell you that's one of my favorite things about running ads is like your account is telling you a story and it's communicating yeah. through data. And it's your job to be able to read that and then make these inferences. You oh, know, whenever I'm talking to clients, I'm always like, I'm like, it's like the data suggests. It's not about what I think, you know, no. like the data suggests this based on, you know, what what this variable is telling us.
0: I'm cringing my toes for all the, the stupid simple stuff that we're we're not doing at the moment, but it completely makes sense when you say it. I was even saying, you. I was thinking, thinking you could just go look at when your demo calls are requested if that's a certain amount of hours per day maybe that's only the time that you need to spend money on ads or people are sleeping <laughs> so don't yeah. take the ads at that point
1: or or if like if for example on you can look at your ad your ad's good report let's say on search maybe you show ads Monday to Friday and then on on social specifically you allow yourself to serve 7 days a week because people are mm. on these social platforms or researching at home, yeah, right? Yeah, They're yeah. With the kids, etc. So you can make these nuances.
0: Yeah. Damn, good stuff. Next one: six retargeting to drive conversions and trust. This one is one I go strong on as well.
1: This had to be in here. Uh, this is like yeah. it's like a time-tested thing. We I think for the most part, everyone knows retargeting works, and yeah. it works for different aspects. A lot of people, when they think of retargeting, they think just, hey, I'm going to drive conversions. But I highly recommend you also start to think of retargeting as like a nurture mechanism, similar to an email list. Mm. So with an email list, you get somebody who opts in. Uh, you send out an email. A certain percentage of those people will open the email. Yeah. Even fewer will click through and actually engage with whatever the piece of content you're, you're linking or the offer. The same is true with the retargeting audience. People opt in. The difference is they opt in automatically based on their, their interactions of what they're doing online. And then from there, you have the ability to send content to them, to serve them content. Certain percentage of those people will click and will engage. So it's just yeah. another way of nurturing. So with re- retargeting, it's amazing because not only can you drive conversion, yes, because you're getting in front of people who ideally know like and trust you, but you mm-hmm. also have the ability to nurture them further. So you can stay top of mind. And I think... At the end of the day, like most B2B SaaS products, they're, they're great in terms of like the technicalities and the features and et cetera. But the biggest challenge is just like, no one knows you exist. And more yeah. importantly, they don't remember that you exist when it counts. Yeah. So with retargeting, if you can stay top of mind and you know, maybe that's as simple as just like LinkedIn and Facebook to start, but then you can start to expand across channels of where your audience is. It's a really low cost way for you to just create that uh you know i think there's a a word for it omnipresence yeah uh, wherever they are <laughs>
0: yeah. we uh, we put out some benchmarks last year about how many sessions we saw per per deal like from first touch until the contract is actually signed and then, it had like 192 days from the first touch until you sign a contract in these B2B accounts. And it had an average of 31 sessions. So it just goes to speak for it that like, great, you got the first touch in there, but the salesperson still needs to work it through as well. And they're probably considering competitors to you as well. So you want to like squeeze your way into to being top of mind at this company. So it's not your competition who buys those eyeballs when they're in market.
1: Yep, 100%. I just think of yourself too, right? Like you as a B2B buyer of software and all the different things you do when you're researching, et cetera. It's not B2C, right? Where it's like yeah. a linear path, add to conversion. There's so many more touch points and, and that's where the value of retargeting is even stronger. Yeah,
0: probably never have bought a product, uh, a B2B product the first time I saw it. It takes time to build that trust. Good, leveraging... Is it IP or a 1P uh, data? Uh, 1P, figure? first party. Oh. Ah, first party, sorry. Leveraging <laughs> first party data for targeting exclusions, accountless contacts, etc.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a must, especially in B2B. So using some sort of tool or your, your own data to be able to target first party data, especially with Chrome removing cookies in the near future, this is going to become even more important. Yeah. Essentially, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you are leveraging you know, the contacts of existing customers and you're excluding that from your campaigns. So you're mm-hmm. not showing ads to existing customers. Yeah. You want to make sure that you're adding in to your remarketing. I call it your echo chamber, that retargeting mm-hmm. layer. You want to make sure you're adding in people who are, let's say, existing MQLs and nurture, right? That haven't had mm-hmm. a opportunity created. So you're staying yeah. in front of those people. Think of these ad platforms as multi-billion dollar machines that are hyper-intelligent, but they require the right inputs in order to give you the right outputs. So that means you need to feed them good quality audience targeting and then you need to feed them good conversion signals so that they know how to work in your behalf. I can upload a list into LinkedIn and create a lookalike off of that. So Mm. then lookalikes, LinkedIn can then go say, I'll find people who are similar to that source list that you gave me as an example. So the, the better data you have if you have good data hygiene, you've been a good steward of your Salesforce yeah. instance, <laughs> and you can leverage that in your, your ad channels. That'll give you a leg up on the competition to just be able to make sure your ad. Yeah,
0: can- I can only uh, double down on that. You can like keep good lists that you can then have in LinkedIn, so you can exclude and uh, include and stuff like that. That's really helpful.
1: It's rough, you know. Like if you don't have that, then your only options are the native ones presented to you. So, for example, if I want to advertise on Facebook and I have no first party data at all, or I Mm. can't like use a tool to be able to do advanced audience targeting, then it's not impossible, but it's harder. Mm. And you're going to have to go through a learning period to figure out like what interest combinations work better. Um, And then there's different ways you can do it. For example, like you can push out videos and then retarget based on video consumption, but the video itself acts as a filter to attract the right person. But it's, you have to go through this whole like iterative process versus give me a list of emails that I know is people within this function, this seniority, you <laughs> upload it to the channel, and away as you go.
0: In my last company, we were in the fairytale days of Facebook. <laughs> Facebook, we were crazy successful with the lookalike audiences. That was like 2017 or something like that before the competition heated up so you could do really really good lookalike audiences, and then you could retarget people for hundred and eighty days <laughs> as well. So that was that was the good old days.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely, and it's always going to get more expensive, right? Like yeah. all these platforms, you're living on borrowed time. You know, at the end of the day, every social media platform, the reach is great in the beginning, right? They want to get influencers, creators on the platform, right? Create collaboration. Yeah. Then they start to monetize, throttle organic reach, right? TikTok is here now. Like yeah. the reach is still great, but they're monetizing and not as good mm-hmm. and then the, the balance on the platform side is doing the dance between like throttling it too much like facebook they killed organic reach now nobody tries to build social profiles there but essentially over time everyone like the platforms want you to advertise right so like yeah. that's what they're always going to push so if you have the ability to essentially do what they want right give them money but do it in a responsible way you're you're always going with the trend but the media costs will always get more expensive over time if the channel's good
0: yeah take it from both of us if if something works then spend more money on it right now number eight building a report that connects channels spent to crm performance doing this... what we uh doing what we do at dream Data, i can only uh, testify that that's a good idea
1: this might seem really simple, and you know, maybe you're watching this, you're like, oh, yeah, basic. Give me something like more juicy, if you will. I'm telling you, the reason I put this in there is because every single time I build a dashboard for a client, it, this doesn't have to be complicated. You can do this in Google Sheets, and you can automate it for $100 a month with like a data connector, mm-hmm. but every time I build a dashboard where it shows, this is how much you spend on the platform. And then this is how many leads were reported back opportunities etc from your crm and then you can start to see the at the real cost per lead the real cost prop right the the real return on investment without fail my clients are always like their eyeballs light up They're like oh wow like i didn't realize our cost per lead was so expensive before and now it's going down that's great or mm-hmm. vice versa i didn't realize we were doing good back in february and now things are off the rocker you know so mm-hmm. Half of the battle is having the right visibility. Yeah. You can have the greatest advertiser of all time in your account managing your campaigns, but if they don't have the right visibility and reporting, they're going to make the wrong like, the wrong decisions. You know, They're going to pause is, things. They're going to cut. And it's just so
0: powerful, this move. This is something that works out of the box with our product, but just the fact that you can flip between we, we converted an email and did this email move on to the sales pipeline or not, just by switching your focus from the email to the sales pipeline makes you take so much better decisions about which campaigns do we double down on and which don't we. Yeah, you gotta have the visibility.
1: It's there's no excuse, honestly. There's no excuse. There's a lot of this is something I'm I'm actually working on in the future, but like giving people the know-how on how to do these things. Yeah. But it's something that I highly recommend. Like every marketer learns how to do at least once in their career, how to build the dashboard, because it's so insightful. And then from there you'll always be able to build at least a rough report right? Yeah. Um, to, to yeah. get what you need.
0: Number nine, improving your landing pages, passing the five-second test. <laughs> so what is this?
1: Yeah, this is an old usability thing in the conversion rate optimization world. But essentially, yeah. we, run, we spend so much money on ads, like ridiculous amount of money on ads, and we're, we're hyper-obsessed. I know I'm so guilty of this. <laughs> <What's> the best <laughs> campaign structure, the objective, this, and that you're like pulling all these dials. And then you completely forget about where you're sending people when they click on your ad, the landing yeah, page. Yeah. And basically what the five second test is, is, is above the fold. So before somebody scrolls down on your landing page, without scrolling down, they just land for the first time in five seconds. Can they understand what do you do? Like, why should they care? How are you? like actually helpful, like what's in it for them? And then what's the next logical step that they can take Mm. all within five seconds. So that's typically, it means the H one, like your primary headline, it needs to be very clear, speak to what you do. Right. Then from there, the sub headline will usually speak to like why you're better, why they should care. And then the call to action button is like how they can take the next step. So making sure that your landing page answers that it passes the five second test is a really small change that you can make that will have a dramatic impact in terms of performance without fail every time we optimize the landing page and we improve the conversion rates it just makes everything else even. Yeah. assuming the media cost will continue to rise if you can get that landing page conversion rate to increase it'll help offset that difference
0: yeah is there any kind of rule of thumb benchmark you can share here silvio in terms of what is like conversion rate on the page or is it time on page? What metric would you be looking for as a deleting indicator here?
1: Assuming we're talking direct response campaigns that we're, yeah, yeah. You know, we're trying to drive demos, et cetera, it's always conversion rates. So okay. how many of the people that go to this page, what's the conversion rate in terms of form completions? Yeah, And that's really what you want to benchmark against time on page. Time on page is kind of a looser insight. It's not that it's not valuable for None me. What I find more valuable to really understand What's going on here with this page is using session recordings. So if you're using some sort of third party tool, you yeah. can you can see session recordings and actually see what are people doing when they're on your page. And that's super insightful. And oftentimes I notice with clients where they have individual landing pages that have navigation, people will go to the landing page and you'll see them like scroll through and then they'll click through. To like the homepage, they'll click on the logo. Yeah. And then from there, they're, they go to the integrations page or the about page, they start to like go to different places. Oftentimes what that, like in the experiments that we've ran is when we've noticed people are going to these different sections of page isn't yeah. answering their question. Mm. So those different key areas that they're going to on their own or highlight on your landing page so that you, you curate that yeah. experience for them because you're assuming and you're making it harder on them to actually like have to go navigate your website. And God forbid, if you have like bad UX, and they have to go and figure out, like, yeah. where's your integration page and all that. Mm-hmm. So all those sections that they go to could be a good insight for you to add them to your landing page.
0: That makes sense. You could probably even trigger a chat if they've been there for 30 seconds and, like, didn't you find what you were looking for? Like, let us know what's missing on this page or, or something. 100%. Like
1: but always assume people are going to take the path of least resistance, especially when people <laughs> are <laughs> in <laughs> research <Yeah>. mode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like they're not they're not the same person like there's they've done studies like when you're actively like mindlessly scrolling researching like you're not operating at the same brain capacity you uh-huh. know what i mean yeah. you're like in this this dull state so imagine your prospect at their worst state in terms of brain power and how can you speak to them clearly make it painfully obvious right like how you can help them what's the next step etc and then give them the necessary information
0: yeah Makes sense. All right. So the, there's only a few bullets left, but any of you who are listening, uh, if there's a question you want Silvio to answer, then hurry up and type it into the chat. I will grab it just after the last two, uh, two bullets. That's actually just a one last bullet, but then feeding CRM events into the ad channel for optimization. This is interesting.
1: This is something that you guys actually do. And it's, it's extremely powerful. And what it is, is you want to make sure that you're using offline conversions So there's two ways you can track conversions online as of right now. You can track client side, which is through the browser. This is when you're using the ad platform's pixel. So for example, if you install the Facebook pixel, and now you're setting up conversion events to track activity, right? With the Facebook pixel, all that's done through the browser, that's client side. The other way you can track is server side. This is all done through the API. And this is where you are connecting your CRM to the ad platform, usually through a click ID. Mm. And this is how they're able to communicate to each other to know, hey, this person, they became a lead because they're in my Salesforce. And then that triggers an event back into the ad platform to measure as a conversion. The reason why this is extremely important, just to go back to a point I made earlier, is you have these extremely intelligent machines that... They know how to get in front of the right person if you give them the right signals. They know how to find more of them. They have so many different parameters in their machine learning algorithms that they're yeah. looking at that we can't even fathom. I can only imagine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it all depends on what are we feeding them, right? Because if we're not giving them high quality conversion data, they can't make those inferences. So, setting up offline conversions is you want to make sure you're tying your CRM data back into the platform for optimization and you're not relying on the pixel to do that for you. It's extremely inaccurate. And even if you debug it in Google Tag Manager, maybe you guys listen to this, you've had this experience, you set it up yeah, perfectly, yeah, yeah. but it still will like overcount on the amount of conversions in your in your Google Ads account versus when you look in Salesforce, the, the count is never 100%. You know? mm, and yeah. even with offline conversions, it's still not going to be 100%, but it's closer to like 90%. And then if you're advertising on Facebook, it's even worse because of iOS 14, even if somebody had a conversion and facebook recognized it if they opted out of the att prompt facebook can't recognize that conversion so you already had a, like a conversion deficit so yeah. all in all it's just feeding higher quality conversion signals back into the channel yeah. so that they know how to make the decisions for you
0: yeah uh, i completely agree like we're, we're in b2b here so it's not about uh, collecting just another email It's about collecting the right kind of emails and acquiring more of the right kind of emails. Yeah. And have have you seen any benchmarks, uh, Silvio, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms and LinkedIn? They claim that it improves cost per acquisition with seven percent. Have you seen any other like numbers being dropped somewhere?
1: Yeah, I I have mixed feelings about benchmarks just because it it always yeah yeah I was just curious. Rarely, like widely, but. But generally speaking, I think the real power, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen it range from just to give you some numbers on the low end, like 15% as high as 46% in terms of like drops in cost per acquisition. It's pretty dramatic. (laughs) But the the coolest thing about this is like another way to explain it is using offline conversions. You can train the algorithm to bid for the conversions that matter. So let me Mm. give you a real example. Let's say your your sales process is lead, MQL, SQL opportunity. Pretty By close. using offline conversions, you can tell Google, hey Google, a lead is worth less than an MQL, and MQL is worth less than an SQL, and SQL yeah. is, less, is worth less than opportunity, yeah. assuming it all happens in 90 days. So then Google knows that they can bid more aggressively for somebody based on their machine learning algorithm and all this stuff that they think will likely become an SQL, they'll bid more aggressively especially yeah. if you're using automated bidding, mm. so that you can drive more SQLs and less leads. So you're, you're better training the algorithm to work yeah. in your favor. And that's what results in this CPA difference. And in, in addition to just people just making better decisions because they're actually reporting on the right stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm smiling because we're, we're releasing this offline conversions to Google next week. So I'm <laughs> really hey. excited to see how it's, <laughs> it's going to perform. Nice um one super tactical thing you know is there any benchmark for how much uh how many conversions you need to send back uh to google yeah. uh, or fa- i recall with facebook back in the day you had to send like for the 50 algorithm a week. 50 yeah that was the number yeah and so the other
1: yeah and that's a little crazy for b2b 50 a week unless you're doing like yeah, yeah, yeah. you ligates, don't have 50 it, new deals yeah so it's, right. it's a bit it, i mean their their primary user is like b2c but for Google, it's 15 conversions a month. is kind of like the general rule of thumb. So one more time, one more time, 15 a month. 15 a month is the general okay, rule of thumb.
0: Nice. Yeah. Super nice. Okay, got it.
1: So what I usually do is for new clients is still bidding or maximize clicks, build your conversion history, and then once you have 15 conversions, you can roll it out. Um, hmm. Or if or if you already have a, like a seasoned account, then you can just start off with something automated like max conversions, target CPA but just keep an eye on it because sometimes when you don't have enough conversion stats mm-hmm. by campaign, Google will automatically increase your cost per click price. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. So yeah. just, you, just be you, careful.
0: Yeah. You can set a cap also to, I'm not willing to pay more than $200 per a click or a hundred dollars, depending on where you're at.
1: Yeah. Where it gets tricky is if you use max conversions, you can't set a bid cap. Ah. So Google is fully in control. If you use target CPA, then you can tell Google like, Hey, I only want you to, try to drive conversions around this amount Mm. a quick pro tip for everybody listening if target cpa works really well for you but you want the ability to control the bid cap if you set up target cpa bidding at the campaign level they don't give you that option but if you set up target cpa as a portfolio bid strategy you do have the ability to set a bid cap
0: this is the good stuff Silvio. That's awesome. Now we're <laughs> we're through the ten paid ad tactics that always work in in B two B. I'm actually I'm pretty convinced that you actually nailed these ones, Silvio. <laughs> <But> Thank you. <laughs> there's a there's a bunch of questions now, so if you have time, we can run through uh, a few of them. Let's do it. This is Lloyd Griffiths. So for a company that, that's never run ads before and has little real idea of their power, what kind of campaigns would you run to show exact level we need regular ad budget?
1: That's a good question. I think the easiest place to start is retargeting. If you can, even if you're not planning on running any ads anytime soon, I highly recommend that you just create an account in the ads manager, and then just install the pixel on your website so you can already start to build that retargeting audience in the background. And then from there, the reason why retargeting works well is you you need yeah. to always take into consideration the affinity and stage of awareness of the audience you're targeting. So these people in terms of their stage of awareness in relation to your product, yeah, are, you know, they're probably solution aware, right? They're aware of you, maybe they're most aware in the sense of they're a customer. So because of that, they have a greater brand affinity, they're more likely to convert even if you have weaker creative, weaker copy because they just like you, right? So that is an easy starting point if you are thinking about getting started, and it's just an easy way for you to extend your reach uh, on a very cheap cost because you're not going to have a huge audience size. Um, Outside of that, what I would say if you are serious about getting into ads and you're not sure what's the best platform to get started with is first create an ads account in whatever platform you're considering, and then just look at the targeting options, like create a fake campaign. They're not going to charge you unless you launch it. So just create a fake campaign and just see what, what's, what's possible. Like, for example, when I, ran a, when I got started with TikTok ads last year in January, I created a free TikTok ads account and I just started looking in the ads manager and I'm like, what do they have here? Like, what, mm. am I, what can I play with, right? What options do I have available? And then from there, if you realize, hey, I do have a real opportunity here to get in front of the people that I want to get in front of, then you can take it as, to a next step which is run like a quick pilot campaign, just spend a hundred bucks. You're not trying to get rich here. You're just spending a hundred dollars. So you can get a real sense of what your baselines are. What's your average cost per click, your average CPM. So then from there, now you have a real sense of what your media costs would be for this channel. So then from there, now you can start to think through some projections. Like if we have a CPC of this and we estimate on the worst case, a conversion rate of this, here's what we can expect as a potential return.
0: Super nice, Sylvia. So I think that like the retargeting is just like if you, if you haven't gone to Google, LinkedIn, Facebook and taken their retargeting pixel and put it on your website, you should just stop what you're doing and install that right away.
1: Another use case, too, if you are a sales led company, because I think that's where this question would come from more so people that are like they grew through Outbound, right? They don't believe mm-hmm. in marketing. Yeah. <laughs> is the first way you can start to get buy in on ads and start to prove the value is helping sales extend their efforts with air cover. I hate that word, but like getting in front of the key accounts, et cetera, making sure you're hitting from another channel, right? Another touch point. So if you are working at an outbound company, tell them how you can upload an account list and get in front of their same companies through LinkedIn, through Facebook, et cetera, and be able to extend that reach.
0: Makes a lot of sense. One more. If you have a very long customer journey, what is the best method to give correct attribution and value to each source so you can spend your budget more wisely?
1: This is a good question. And it's tough. I don't think anybody has the, the secret, but I'll tell you what works for me. So for me, I typically like to look at the first touch. I like <laughs> to look at the last touch. Those are, I mean, when it's all kind of said and done. Um, and then what I also like to do is I like to look at self-reported as well, just as like a qualitative input. So I, I look at those three things. And what I also do is From a reporting perspective i look at direct pipe to spend by channel so for the channels where i am trying to drive a direct response i look at the pipeline to spend invested it's one of my favorite metrics but what i also look at is i look at blended cost so paid and organic what is the overall blended demo request that we got this month blended opportunities created divided by cost so now i have an overall efficiency number that I can measure against. And between that, I noticed the blended cost per opportunity is going down and we're getting more ops. And then I can see, you know, the first touch was LinkedIn organic, or I can see, you know, from self-reported. A lot of people are mentioning my YouTube channel, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, that's enough for me to understand kind of more or less what's moving this.
0: Yeah, I'll just do a little extra to it because this is what we do every day but i think the first uh, one of the so firstly yeah first touch model is also probably the one i look at for paid ads because i want to know what starts new journeys consistently then there's a lot of things in between the first touch and the deal being one but is there things that are consistently the first touch that are that are those are really the things that attracts me The second thing I wanted to say is that you need to to be able to view the the timelines in an an account-based fashion, so not just studying the acts of an individual. What I mean by that is that if, let's say, you have three people involved in a deal and you spend your money attracting that first touch, that guy who goes out and does the research for the company, and then he has a colleague, and then he has another colleague that signs the contract, if those three people are not part of the same timeline, you actually can't look at the first touch. You'll be able to look at the first touch of that guy that signs the contract, but that's actually not where the demand is coming from. So if, if any way you can get into to looking at things in an account-based timeline, that will give you a more relevant first touch to look at than if it's detached from uh, each other. Two more, Silvio, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll let you go for the day. There's a very... Uh, low practical uh, request here any hack to set up a 5 day schedule on linkedin ads I, I think it's only possible by manually that's jonas kurzweg
1: you can't set up ad scheduling natively you have to only you can only set up through the api so you'll need like some sort of third party tool to do it mm. Unfortunately, hopefully they change that in the future. But for now, if you don't have access to like a third party tool for ad mm-hmm. scheduling, then you can just go to Google and start doing some research like LinkedIn ad scheduling tools and find some. But without that right now, we're, it's kind of like it is what it is. We just can't do it in LinkedIn. Hopefully they roll that out in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Were metadata meta to do that?
1: No, metadata cannot add schedule, at least from when I was there.
0: One more, and then uh, we're done. <laughs> this is Alex Carter. Uh, I'm building these dashboards in a pretty manual fashion at the moment. Do you have a guide on how to build it out with automated connectors? And I think you put out a blog post or a video for that, right, Sylvia?
1: I haven't shown the whole process. I think I just showed like a little sneak peek of, of what it could look like. But uh, Alex, I don't have one yet, but I think you'll like what I'm going to announce next month because <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have something that can help you
0: super nice um let's say that's it silvio there's been so much value here and i love the practicalities of it and the simplistic nature of it and uh if i do get myself together i can go act on this right now i think the audience has learned uh, a ton here and um, i just want to say thank you for spending the time with us silvio if uh, you were to just do a short pitch for for ad conversion or where people can reach out if they want to learn more what would that be
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. And if you guys want more content to level up your paid advertising game, I highly recommend checking out adconversion.com and joining my newsletter. Uh, You'll get two to three tips every single week on how to scale pipeline and revenue with paid ads. And then I also have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Sylvia Perez, where we're posting videos every week on you know we actually just rolled out a new series we're interviewing other practitioners how they're scaling ads at their companies and then we just have a bunch of tutorials as well like how to get started with linkedin ads scaling uh, conversation ads advanced strategies for google search and a whole bunch of other
0: stuff yeah as i said in the beginning this is really like super high quality stuff that that, that silvio is putting out so so go follow him uh, on the different social platforms thank you that's it have a great day guys we hope you like listening to us subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.